there. Welcome to another life-transforming sermon with Dr. Dazwit Achero. Alright, let's go to the Word of God quickly. I want to speak on the subject, the wounds on Christ's face. The wounds on Christ's face. Let's pray. Father, we just want to thank you and we bless you for today. I pray that may your word speak to us in a very powerful way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now, when I was in high school, I used to play hockey. And I remember when I started playing golf, you know, it was not very difficult to master the art of playing golf. And the instructor was asking me, which sport were you involved in when you were in school? And I told him I used to play hockey. And he told me, I think it has really helped you to have an eye on the ball or to have your eye on the ball. And so um, I just wanted to let you know I also play golf. Anyway, so moving on swiftly. Tell your neighbor I'll be there in Jesus' name. And so there is this particular day we were having a competition, and um, and I remember uh, somebody hit my nose, and he hit my nose so hard that I was bleeding. And so I I, I tried to compose myself, but I just saw I saw a lot of blood you know, falling on the ground and it was streaming out of my nose. And I tried to touch my nose and I couldn't feel anything. So what I did, um, I went down to the ground and then they carried me out of the field and blood was gushing out of my nose. And I remember I touched my nose again and I couldn't feel it. So I knew things were not good. So I remember I asked you know, our doctor, our team doctor, I just asked him, is my nose still in place? And he said, I can see it. <laughs> said, I can see it. And I said, I can't feel it, but because you can see it, then there is hope. So they stopped the, build, the bleeding. And then when I was able to really feel my nose, I told them, I think I can continue playing. So I went back and I played. But let me tell you, it was a very painful experience because I was just trying to imagine, you know, how I will look like without a nose. Or I was trying to imagine how I will look like with a broken nose or um, a twisted nose. I mean, you can't imagine because the face is a very important part of every person's body, isn't it? Look at your neighbor and tell them, I think I like your face. If your neighbor did not smile, you didn't tell, tell your neighbor properly. So turn to your neighbor again and tell them, I think I really like your face. Isn't it? The face is a very crucial part of the body. In fact, we all want our faces to be flawless. That's why when you take photos, before you upload, you've got some filters, isn't it? 
to make sure that you remove all the rough edges on your face so that by the time you're posting you know that picture people will really admire your face because the face is a very important part of our bodies we want the nose to be in the in the right place we want the ears to be in the right place we want the eyes to be in the right place we want the eyebrows hallelujah eyebrows people turn to a lady next to you and tell her i can see your eyebrows uh -huh. whether they have been painted or they have been trimmed there are still eyebrows fake it till you because the face is very important and we make sure that the face looks good you see other parts can be covered isn't it true tell a neighbor neighbor you don't know what I have covered I'm telling you if I loosen some things you will be surprised But the face, because it cannot be covered, it has to be flawless. That's why we apply makeup, you know, we put lipstick, mascara, you know, put some artificial eyelashes, you know, we shave, and we make sure that we look good. Because the face is a very important part of our bodies, isn't it? Turn to another neighbor and tell them, neighbor. Finish the statement. <laughs> uh, that's why teenagers are struggling as well. Because of the face challenge, the face transition. You know, I remember when I was making a transition to adulthood, I used to have a lot of big pimples. You know, and they were so big. Very huge. And I stayed with them for a while. You know, by the time I was meeting Pastor Mary, they were still in place. You know, but you know, as a man, you don't really care. You know, because as men, there are things that we want to be okay. And the first, I don't think is, no, is very important. <laughs> Yeah, there are, there are other very important things. Man, am I saying the truth? Isn't it? Isn't it, Pastor Anthony? Yeah, there are other very important things. Like the wallet. You know, you know I cannot go deeper than that. That's, that's enough. You know, but for ladies, the face is, 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 is critical. It's critical. And it has to look nice. I want you also to understand that Jesus had a wonderful face. He, was a, he had a lovely, lovely face. The Bible says in the book of Isaiah that he grew up as a tender plant. And then the book of Luke says that he increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Now, when you are favored by man, it simply means that 
you are attractive in a way. There is something about you that is likable. There is something in you that makes people grant you preferential treatment. So there was something about Jesus that was attractive to people. He was looking good. He grew up as a tender plant. And so I want you to know that Jesus was comely. He had a comely countenance. He was looking so nice because I don't believe that God can craft something that is ugly. And remember that Jesus was not a product of a man and a woman. Jesus was a product of God and God. And so he must have been looking very, very handsome, isn't it? I'm sure the ladies who are growing up with Jesus were dying for him. Praise the Lord. You know, ladies like nice, fine-looking boys. Hey, ladies are quiet here. Jesus was very handsome, good-looking, because he was a product of God. It is God who fashioned him. It is God who made him. But when he was arrested, let me tell you, ladies and gentlemen, he was subjected to untold suffering. He was subjected to torture, and they wounded not only his body, but his face as well. Isaiah chapter 52 verse 14, the Bible says his visage was marred. The word visage simply means face. His face was marred more than any man. And his form more than the sons of man. It's like his face by the time, you know, his tormentors were done with him. His face was contorted. His face was, you know, distorted. His face was more mad more than any man. I mean, you could put the ugliest man in the world next to Jesus. But Jesus was still ugly. After these guys were done with him, you could not even recognize his face. No wonder the mother of Jesus was standing by the cross crying. The women were weeping and Jesus was telling them, don't weep for me. They could see how mad his face was. Isaiah 53 says he had no form or comeliness, no beauty to desire about him. That means by the time he was dying, he was not attractive. You know, his entire body was covered with blood. Jesus on the cross, we see him writhing in pain. And he was half naked, naked, stretched so high, you know, and stretched so well. Hanging on a wooden cross, looking helpless as people were laughing and mocking him. His face, ladies and gentlemen, was disfigured. I want us to look today at the wounds on the face of Jesus. And I want us to delve deeper and get the significance of all these wounds on his face. The first wound, number one, is the wound caused by the kiss of betrayal. Is the wound that was caused by the kiss of betrayal. The face is the common surface on a human being's body for kisses. That's why we kiss people's cheeks, isn't it? 
we kiss people's foreheads, isn't it? And we go deeper and kiss their lips, isn't it? How many here you've ever been kissed? Please, we are in church. Don't lie. Okay. Turn to your neighbor and ask your neighbor, did you understand the question? <laughs> Let's try again. Pastor Zef, I'm looking at you. How many here have been kissed or you have kissed someone before? Pastor Zef, you've kissed someone before. Was it on the cheeks? Was it on the forehead? In ancient time, a kiss represented loyalty and love. A kiss was not just a greeting, but it represented love and loyalty. Now, when Judas comes to Jesus, Judas was a disciple of Jesus. When he comes to Jesus, he gives him a kiss. But this was not a greeting. And this was not a sign of love and loyalty as well. This was a kiss of betrayal. Mark chapter 14, verse 43 to 46, the Bible says, and immediately while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, with a great multitude with swords and clubs, came from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now, his betrayer had given them a signal saying, Whoever I kiss, he is the one. Seize him and lead him away safely. And as soon as he had come, immediately he went up to him and said, Rabbi, Rabbi, and kissed him. Then they laid their hands on him and took him. So you see that Judas came, you know, and used a sign of love and loyalty to kiss Jesus. And that kiss was not to demonstrate love and loyalty. That kiss was actually a kiss of betrayal. And Jesus was a little bit confused. In like Luke chapter 22 verse 48, he said, Judas, are you betraying the son of man with a kiss? It was like a contradiction to him. I mean, how can you kiss me, yet you're using a sign of love and loyalty to betray me? You see, Judas was trying to cover his intentions. He tried to show Jesus that he loved him or he was loyal to him. But at the same time, he was selecting him from the crowd so that the chief priests and the soldiers may arrest him. So many times I want you to understand that you can receive a kiss from somebody, but that kiss is not authentic. That kiss is not genuine. And many of you have been kissed a lot, but when you look back in retrospect, you realize that it was a kiss of betrayal. Am I talking to somebody in this house? And so the kiss of Judas was the kiss of treachery. It was a kiss of pretense. It was a kiss of hypocrisy. He chose a symbol of love 
and loyalty to betray Jesus. Can I submit to you that the kiss of betrayal hurts? The kiss of betrayal is painful. When someone pretends to love you, to be loyal to you, when somebody pretends that he's showing you care and kisses you all the time, you know, but when you leave his presence, he speaks against you or he despises you, it will really hurt you. It will really wound your heart. When you find out that what they were doing was just a camouflage of their real intentions, it can really be hurtful. And I'm speaking to people here who have been hurt by the kiss of betrayal. I am preaching to people today who have experienced what Jesus did experience in the Garden of Gethsemane. Somebody came, showed you love, showed you care, showed you that he's loyal to you, he's committed to you, he cares about you, you know, blew you a lot of kisses across the room, but you realize that it was not true. And that person that I'm speaking about is here looking at me and very quiet and is not saying amen to my message right now because he or she can remember the pain. But I also want to let you know that there is no wound of betrayal that you can never recover from. No matter how deep it was, no matter how hurtful it was, no matter how painful it was, you can recover from it. If Jesus bounced back, you can also bounce back. You can be restored, you can be healed emotionally, and let me tell you, you can love again, and you can kiss again. Can I get an amen in the house? Look at your neighbor and tell them, you can fall in love again, and you can kiss again. How many want to kiss again? Father, look at the hypocrites in the house. Forgive them, Lord. Forgive them during this Easter. For they don't know what they are doing. Number two. Is the wound that was caused by the spit of contempt on his face. The wound that was caused by the spit of contempt on his face. Has someone ever spat on you? Hmm? When somebody spits on you, I'm telling you, it's a sign that they can't stand you. They are disgusted by your presence. They love you. They hate you. I mean, they can't even describe what they feel about you. And that's why they just spit on you. Your presence in their lives makes them sick to their stomach. Mark chapter 14 verse 64 to 65. The Bible says, and they all condemned him. Who is this? Jesus. They all condemned him to be deserving of death. Then some began to spit on him and to blindfold him and to beat him and to say to him, prophesy. And the officers struck him with the palm of their hands. They all condemned him. Not just a few, but all of them who were in that particular place, they condemned him. And some of them went a step further 
and they began to spit on him. Can you imagine the level of hatred these people were feeling for Jesus? That they were now spitting on him. This is somebody who has been opening people's blind eyes. This is someone who raised Lazarus from the dead. This is someone who healed people and cleansed the lepers. And at this particular point, when they got an opportunity to really demonstrate their hate, they stooped too low to a point where they spat on him. Mark chapter 15 verse 19. The Bible says, then they struck him on the head with a reed and spat on him. Isaiah chapter 50 and verse 6. Jesus himself says, speaking through prophet Isaiah, he says, I did not hide my face from shame and spitting. They spat in his face. You know, sometimes I see this in movies. And it's very disgusting that somebody just spits in another man's face. I prefer you spit on my back. I prefer you even spit on my hand, but on my face. I mean, that is very degrading, isn't it? And some people, when they remove their saliva, the saliva is not pure. It has other yellow uh, substances. Because before they spit, they gather. Can somebody gather some things in your mouth? There are people who cannot even look at me as I'm preaching now. That's how disgusting it was. So I'm imagining some of them had to gather their spit. You know, they had to remove it from the back of their noses. Pull it all the way gather and mix it in their mouth and make sure that it is thick and heavy. Glory to God. And then they released it on the face of Jesus. <laughs> and you can see the spit flowing down the cheeks of Jesus. Flowing all the way to his mouth. To his nose. And you see, the Bible says that Jesus was not ashamed. So that means he didn't even wipe it. He let them spit on him. He let them release the saliva in their mouth on his face. That is what your master went through. It was a wound on his face. Tell your neighbor, he did this all just for you. He faced the scorn. He faced the disgust. He went through humiliation. And I want you to know that he did all this for you and I. He wanted you and I to know that no matter how humiliated you are, he's been there. He's gone through it. He knows the pain. He knows how it feels to be at the lowest point of one's life. And I want you to understand something about Jesus, that this was not the first time that Jesus was dealing with saliva. <laughs> Can I go a little bit deeper? 
It was not the first time he was dealing with saliva. He had dealt with saliva before. In Mark chapter 8, verse 22 to 26, there is a time they brought a blind man to Jesus that Jesus may heal him. All right? And he took him by the hand and he led him out of the town. Then, what did Jesus do? Jesus spat on his eyes and put his hands on him. And he asked the man, what do you see? And the man said, I see men like trees walking. Ask your neighbor for me, what do you see? And then he put his hands on his eyes again and he was restored and the man started seeing clearly. Jesus took the act of humiliation and used it as a platform to procure a miracle for a man who was blind. You didn't hear what I said. Let me say again, Jesus took an act of humiliation, spat in the eyes of this guy who was blind, and used it as a pedestal to procure a miracle for this man. I need to tell somebody here who has faced humiliation that it is a setup. That humiliation you're going through is a platform that God wants to use to procure a miracle in your life in the name of Jesus. Touch your neighbor and tell them it's a setup. I know people have laughed at you, people have despised you, people have looked down on you, people have, you know, even dismissed you as someone who will never amount to anything. But let me tell you, God can take that humiliation and use it as a platform to be able to release a miracle in your life. May God turn every humiliation in your life into a platform for your promotion in Jesus' name. Can I hear louder amen in this house? Can I hear a Holy Ghost amen in this house? There are people here you've been embarrassed. There are people here you've been looked down upon. There are people here you have been dismissed as a nobody. But look, that is what God wants to use. He wants to let you go so low so that he can lift you so high. Hallelujah. You know, I'm reminded of the story of this woman who was caught, you know, in the very act. You know the story of this woman who was caught in the very act, you know, and, and they brought her to Jesus. You know, when I was reading that story, I realized that they didn't want let me refresh it. When you read the story, you will think that it is the woman that these people caught. But it's not the woman that they caught. They wanted to catch Jesus. They were using the woman as a bait to catch Jesus. Isn't it? Because they wanted to pin him to the wall concerning the law of Moses. And you can see that Jesus took the situation and turned it around. And the woman who was supposed to be stoned to death, he told her, go and sin no more. Because all the guys who came with stones and rocks and they were ready to stone this woman, Jesus challenged them and he told them, if there is anyone here who doesn't have any sin, let him be the first one to cast the stone. 
You see, many of us, we are humiliated. It's because people know our story. It's because people know our story. Do you remember the story of Chris Rock, this, huh? this movie star, Chris Rock and uh, Will Smith? And Smith slapped, you know, this other guy. And everybody was condemning, you know, Will Smith, isn't it? But you, how many people have you slapped and we didn't have the cameras? Huh? If we followed you with the cameras 24-7, can we project your life on this screen? The honest ones are the ones who are saying, Lord, have mercy. Others are pretending as if it will just be okay. But let me tell you, if we were to follow you with cameras, I'm telling you, we will not project. You'll be saying, forward! Stop! Rewind! Remove! Delete! It was not me. It was photoshopped. But whether we know or we don't know, whatever you went through, God can turn it around. I want somebody to celebrate this good Easter knowing that whatever you went through, God can turn it around. Your humiliation, God can turn it around. Your pain, God can turn it around. Shout a louder yes in this house. Tell your neighbor, God can turn it around. Number three is the torture of being blindfolded. It was a wound. The torture of being blindfolded. Luke chapter 22, verse 63 to 65. The Bible says, Now when men who held Jesus mocked him, and they beat him. And having blindfolded him, they struck him on the face. And they asked him saying, prophesy. <laughs> who is the one who struck you? And many other things they blasphemously spoke against him. So they blocked his view. It's another wound that we see on his face. They ensured that he was not able to see his tormentors. And then they tried to test his prophetic gift. And they say, Jesus, we're going to, you know, blindfold you and then we're going to beat you. Then you, you need to prophesy and say which one has, you know, beaten you or slapped you. That was torturous. You know, when they blindfold you, it can be very traumatizing. I've seen in movies sometimes, they kidnap someone, blindfold him, put him in a car. You know, sometimes they even put him in a boot. Then they drive like for 45 minutes. Remove that guy from the car, that lady from the car, put them in a room, lock them there. By the time they're removing, you know, the blindfolds, that person is not aware where he is. He's disoriented completely. He can't even trace where he is, where he's coming from, which road, you know, they used to bring, me, to bring him to that particular place. And sometimes they just play with their psychology. It's not that they have gone very far. They're just, they're just driving around a building. 
But in your mind, you know, we have really, really driven, you know, for many hours out of town. But you're actually in the same place because you can't see where you are. This is what they were doing to Jesus. I'm sure, you know, as they were doing this, Jesus was disoriented in a way, you know, because they were testing him. They were testing his gift. They're saying, Jesus, we know you're a prophet. And so we're going to try something here. No, blindfold you, then hit you, then you must prophesy, you know, and say, who has done it? They were testing him. And many times as believers, we also go through tests, isn't it? People will say, if you are a Christian, do this. If you are a child of God, do this. If, if God is truly alive, the God that you serve, you know, pray for this thing. And if it changes, then I'll believe, you know, in your God. If, if, if you pray... For the rain to come and it rains, then I will get saved. We are tested. Left, right, and center. So Jesus was blindfolded. He had eyes, but he could not be able to see. Because they blindfolded him. You know, I was looking at Jesus, as, even as I was just going through some of the things that he went through. And I realized that Jesus, at that particular point, he became a sheep. He was willing to die. He had all the prophetic insight that God can give any man. But he decided not to exercise it. He had discernment. He could see. I mean, Jesus could walk through a wall. But he decided not to do that. In fact, the Bible says that he even had power to call angels. But he decided not to do it. I'm sure he was seeing those guys. I'm sure he knew which one did what. But he, didn't want, he, did not, he did not want to tell them. Because he was a sheep. He was ready to die. Amazing. So he allowed himself to be surrounded with darkness. Do you know also what Jesus was doing? He was preparing himself to go to the grave where there is no light. It was a warm up. You're not hearing what I'm saying. <laughs> Tell your neighbor it was just a warm-up. Because he knew he was going to the grave. And they were going to roll the stone to cover the mouth of the grave. And so that was just a warm-up. He knew he was going to be in the grave for a while. His eyes are going to be shut for three days in the grave. And so he was surrounded with darkness. And they thought by doing that they were just, you know... Making his life difficult. But they were fulfilling scriptures without knowing. Hallelujah. Because Jesus is the light. He is the light of the world. Hallelujah. In fact, in heaven, the Bible says he is the light of the city. We don't need electricity in heaven. We don't need Kenya power in heaven. Yeah, we don't need candles in heaven. We don't need solar power. In heaven because he is the light of the city and so he allowed himself to be in darkness wow hallelujah because he is not just the god of the light he's also the god of darkness he also rules in darkness he also works in darkness he also speaks in darkness he also moves in darkness hallelujah you might be in darkness today, but I want you to know that even in darkness, God is there. 
David says, where can I run away from your presence, O God? So that means regardless of where you are, God is there as well. He is with you in your darkest moment in life. Are you here going through a very dark situation in your life? He is there with you. Are you here facing a very dark situation in your life? He is there with you. He knows what it feels to be blind. <laughs> no wonder when Bartimaeus cried out to him, Jesus knew this guy. One time I'll be like him. Let me heal him. He knows. He knows what darkness is. He was in the womb of his mother. Is it nine months or eight months? Nine months, a place of darkness. Do you remember when you were in your mother's womb? Huh? I remember I saw my son when he was in my wife's womb. There's a time we went to do a scan. You know? Because this, this, this son of mine is a miracle child. Huh? Yeah, because the enemy wanted him destroyed. He threatened to come out before his time. Was it five months? Three months. The guy was ready to come to the world. I told him, please. There is a process. Take it easy, brother. You know, relax. You will still come, but not now. <laughs> so we, I remember taking my wife for a scan. And we saw him. At three, was it three or five? Four, around three, four, five. You know, we are legends, so we have forgotten some things. I was telling Pastor Mary today, I feel like we need to adopt another child so we can, yeah, it's a good thing. Anyway, um, Father, if you give me, I'll accept for free. I'll, I'll accept it. Talk to my wife, Jesus. <laughs> Receive in Jesus' name. Anyway. Where was I? Before I was rudely interrupted. Uh, I should scan her. Oh, yeah, the scan, yes. <laughs> and we saw Asaph in the mother's womb. And the doctor said, hey, this son of yours is very active. Look at him. Asaph was just somersaulting. He was moving, somersaulting. He was moving, stretching in the mother's womb. You know? But I believe and I know that place was dark. Jesus had been there before. Very dark place. And you know, in that dark, you know, I was just imagining. The place is dark, but the guy was growing dark but he was growing three months four months five months six months seven eight nine then he came out the guy was growing look at him now he's the tallest in the family <laughs> a guy that i used to see very tiny guy now he's the tallest in the family david says when i was in my mother's womb you need me together that that dark place you need me together 
So I want you to know that this, what they were doing, they thought they were just trying to mess up with Jesus. But let me tell you, Jesus was teaching us a very powerful principle here. That even in darkness, I'm still at work. Even in the darkest moment of my life, I'm still at work. I need to tell somebody in this house. I don't know how you are surrounded with the darkness of this life. But I want you to know, even in your darkest moment, God is still with you. Jesus is still with you. Favor is still with you. Goodness and mercies are with you. Shout a louder amen in this heart. I love it. John chapter 1. I show you something here. In the beginning, this screen does not work. Does it have scriptures? In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him, nothing was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of... And the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness did not comprehend it. I prophesy, may the light of Jehovah shine in your darkest moment oh that a man is very weak i say i prophesy may the light of jehovah god shine in your darkest situation shout amen in this house touch five people around you and tell them i see the light i see the light i see the light Yes, it is hard, but I see the lie. Yes, things are thick, but I see the lie. Oh my goodness, I see the lie. I have been blindfolded, but I see the lie. I'm surrounded with darkness, but I see the lie. My goodness, I feel like preaching. My goodness, my candidate lost the UDA nominations, but I see the lie. Not enough fuel, but I see the light. Milk is scarce, but I see the light. Shout if you see the light. Take that person on your left and on your right. I see the light. I see the light. I see the light. I see the light. The devil is a liar. He thought I will die in this darkness. He thought I'll be destroyed by this darkness. But I see the lie. I see the lie. I see hope out of my situation. Shout yeah. Sit down. I see the lie. I see the lie. Pastor Dennis. No more. I'm so happy, I'm happy. Praise the Lord. I see the light. These are baby boomers. <laughs> uh, the, 
It's a combination of the baby boomers and the baby zoomers. We should sing that song, I See the Light. Tell your neighbor, I see the light. Are you seeing the light? Tomorrow will be better. Are you seeing the light? Sunday is coming. I see the light. I see, I see, I see, I see the light. I say, I see the light. Why is the Holy Ghost telling me to stay here? I see the light. I see the light. I can see the light in your situation. I can see the light in your circumstance. It's gonna shine. The rain, the rain is over. It's gonna shine. The storm is over. The sun is gonna shine. I see it. I see it. Pastor Anthony, I see it. Pastor Dennis, I see it. Look at your neighbor and tell them I can see it too. I see it. I see the light. I see the light. Please be seated. Let's try this song and see. The storm is over now. The storm is over. I prophesy over somebody. The storm is over. The clouds have been dark. The rain has rained. But the storm is over. I see the light. Woo! Sit down. Number four. I love my preaching. The wound caused by the plucking of the beard. They literally pulled his beard. You know, Jesus at 33 had beard. If you get to 25, 26 without beard, we need to start praying for you. You should look manly. If you are male, you should look. If you are female, you should look. Who said womanly? Which school did you go to? <laughs> so they plucked. It's very painful. Can you imagine plucking? Plucking the beard is very, very painful, isn't it? It's like waxing for ladies. Is it a very nice experience? It's painful. But ladies, why do you go and it's painful? I do not understand. It's beauty. Beauty in the legs. Beauty is in the eyes of the beholder. Anyway. Let's leave the waxing thing because it doesn't just happen to the legs. Okay, now, uh, 
day, one day, when I was young, I told my father to take me to a barber shop. In those days, we didn't have very classy barber shops like the ones we have right now. You know, the ones we have right now, they are very nice. The ambience is nice. You know, they have done some nice gypsum and lighting. The seats are fantastic. You know, and then after they shave you, there are some ladies with some towels. Very hot towels. You know, then they massage you. By the time you leave there, Hey, you say there is heaven somewhere. Oh Lord, have mercy. Glory to God. These gentlemen are not agreeing with me because they don't want their wives to know or what. The way they are looking at me is like on a choma. It's like, don't go there, don't go. J just say they shave and then we leave. <laughs> eh? I'm telling you, it's a heavenly experience. Yeah, with music playing in the background. And then sometimes she asks, is it enough? You say, no, you've just started. <laughs> anyway, my father took me to a barber shop. It was the first time. And in those days, I mean, the barber shops were everywhere. They were even under a tree. I don't know if the people of my generation understand what I'm talking about. And the machine was manual. Manual. Yeah. They were not using electricity. That's why the barber shop was anywhere. You could find it under a tree. Somebody just comes, sets up under a tree, puts a chair there. You sit down. He shaves you. And, and, and you're gone. But my first experience was not very nice. Because that thing, it was rough. It was blunt. So as he was shaving me, I was feeling a lot of pain, you know, on my head. Because sometimes when he lifts up that machine, he was lifting it up with some strands of hair. You know, pulling strands of hair on my head. But because I'm the one who put pressure on my father to take me there, I, I, I showed him I was enjoying it. Yeah, because I didn't want him to say, I will never take you back here again. All right? So I was enjoying, but it was a very painful, you know, experience. I was feeling like the guy was even like scraping my scalp. It was very painful, you know. So after that, when I was living there, I had a splitting headache. I mean, it was very painful because I was just feeling like my, my, my head was full of fire. I'm imagining what Jesus went through. When they were just plucking beards out of his chin. It must have been a very painful experience. Isn't it true? You know, for us, even shaving beards sometimes can be very painful. Sometimes you even cut yourself. That's why some people, you see, they stopped shaving. We are not naming names, please. <laughs> I 
I remember you, I used to see my dad, my dad shave. He used to go to the bathroom and shave and shave. And sometimes he would come out of the bathroom with a lot of blood, you know, on his chin. And it affected me so much until I decided I will never, you know, use the, that uh, shaving machine the, at home. Is it the razor or something? I decided I will never use it. Because every time I used to see him, he was scratching, scratching, and he comes out, hey! It was a grotesque creature coming out of the bathroom with blood all over the place. I said, me, I'll never do that. Never do that. So, I don't do it. Yeah. I, I go to the barber shop. Yeah. They handle me gently. Somebody say, glory to God. <laughs> anyway, they plucked the beard of Jesus. It was a painful, painful experience. Look at what Isaiah says in Isaiah chapter 50 verse 6. Jesus said, I offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. So they were literally mm, grabbing and pulling, grabbing and pulling. So Jesus was also bleeding on his chin and there was pain that he was going through. What does beard stand for? Beard stands for maturity. Beard stands for wisdom. Beard stands for experience. Been there for a while. You're mature. You have wisdom. And so they were trying to dilute the wisdom that was in operation in the life of Jesus. And they had done it before. In Matthew chapter 13 verse 54 to 57. When Jesus was in his hometown. The Bible says he taught them in the synagogue. And they were astonished. And then they started asking, where did this man get this wisdom? Somebody shout wisdom. Where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is this not the carpenter's son? They started plucking his beard. Is not his mother called Mary? And his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? And his sisters, are they not all with us? When they did this, where did this, where then did this man get all these things? And the Bible says they were offended at him. Tried to water down the wisdom, the wealth of experience, the maturity that we see in the life of Jesus. They tried to commonize him. Yes, they, they, they heard what he said and they could tell this man is solid. Jesus is solid. Jesus, Jesus is full of knowledge. And then they say, we, we're going to water it down. Let's commonize him. We know his sisters, we know his brothers. I mean, he's a carpenter's son. He cannot be saying the things he's saying. We know him. He's a carpenter's son. Trying to water down the wisdom that Jesus carried. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22 to 24, the Bible says, For Jews request a sign, and Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews is a stumbling block, and to the Greeks, foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Don't you know that you 
who is in Christ Jesus, you are a carrier of wisdom. You are carrying wisdom with you. You are walking around with wisdom. Hallelujah. Christ is wisdom personified. You have the wisdom of God inside of you because you are a child of God. So tell your neighbor, I'm a carrier of wisdom. Mm -hmm. And if you can just allow Christ to lead you, to guide you, I'm telling you, foolishness will not be part of your life. Tell your neighbor, neighbor. The reason why, sometimes, I see some foolish things in your life is because you have not submitted fully to Christ. Yeah. Your beard has been plucked. Yes. But if you submit truly, completely, wholeheartedly to Jesus Christ, you will see wisdom flowing and operating in your life. Can I hear an amen in this house? How many of you have ever done something and then after you come back to your senses, you're like, Kai, Kai, was it me? Huh? There's this phrase people use a lot. You called yourself for a meeting. Huh? And you started looking at what you did. And then you look at yourself. You look at what you did, then you look at yourself. You look at what you did, then you say, hey, is it me? Is it really me? It's because you did not allow the wisdom of God to flow in your life. Let Christ be the wisdom of God in your life in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. As we celebrate Easter, may the wisdom of God explode in your spirit. May you not make foolish mistakes. May you not take wrong turns in the name of Jesus. Lastly, and then we pray. Is the wound caused by the crown of thorns? The wound caused by the crown of thorns. When Jesus was on the cross, suspended between heaven and earth, under the sweltering heat and he was thirsty he was bleeding and everybody was looking at him they were shaking their heads the bible says there was a crown that was placed on his head and it was a crown of thorns john chapter 19 verse 2 to 3 the bible says the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they struck him in the face. In other words, every time they went close to him, they had to hit him. It's very sad. I mean, a guy is there, he's thirsty, he's anemic, he's tired, he's under excruciating pain, and they are still hitting him. They are not sympathetic, these people. Look, there was a crown. Have you seen the crown in verse 2? There was a crown of thorns that was placed over his head. Now, the thorns pricked his head, pricked his face, pricked his forehead, 
It was very uncomfortable. I believe every movement he made with his head caused the thorns to scratch his head. It was painful. But apart from just the pain that he experienced from the thorns, this was oxymoronic in nature. In other words, they were putting a crown of thorns on his head to mock him. They even pretended to pay homage to him with a fake kind of allegiance. They were mocking him. They demonstrated mockery of allegiance and worship to the king of kings. As if that was not enough, Luke chapter 23 verse 38, the Bible says, and an inscription also was written over him in letters of Greek, Latin, and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. They even tried to limit him to be this king of just a certain clique of people. King of the Jews. Not king of the world. King of the Jews. Because Romans believed that nobody should rule them. The Romans were a superpower at that particular time. Alright? That's why when you read the account of Jesus from the book of Mark, because Mark was written to the Romans, you realize that they omitted a lot of details because Romans are interested with what somebody can do. They are not into a lot of feelings and crying and stuff like that. So for them, they just did it because they were not attached to Jesus anyway. They wanted peace for their territory. And so they wrote there, the king of the Jews, and put a crown of thorns to show that Jesus is only a king to a small group of people, the Jews. He's not a king of kings. He's a king of the Jews. Then they put a crown of thorns on his head, and then they were bowing before him. All hail king of Jews, mocking him despising him. But in Revelation chapter 19, because the story is not yet over, John looks into heaven after Jesus has ascended and he gives us a picture of who Jesus really is. John says, Now I saw heaven open and behold a white horse and he who sat on him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire. And on his head were many crowns. They put one crown. But in heaven he was wearing many crowns. Did you hear what I said? They only put one crown of thorns on him. But in heaven he's wearing many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white hoses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword. I mean, I was reading this and I was getting scared of Jesus. Can you imagine somebody opening his mouth when he speaks a sword? comes out of the mouth. Not a tongue, a sword. Someone say, Mercy. 
You know, if somebody had a sword coming out of his mouth, you know, kissing is very difficult. It's a dangerous act. Out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he shall strike the nations and he himself will rule, with a, rule them with a rod of iron. He himself trades the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of the Jews. Huh? King of and Lord of Lords. They try to limit the sphere of his rulership. But John corrected the error and he showed us he's not just the king of the Jews. He's the king of kings and he's the Lord of lords. I love this. Hmm. Those who mocked him and they put the inscription king of the Jews, they will one day see him as the king of kings and the Lord of lords. That is the Jesus that we serve. He's not just the king of Luos, or Luyas, or Kalenjins, or the king of Kenyans, or Uganda. He is the king of kings. He's the lord of lords. He's ruling over the affairs of man. And that's why Philippians tells us, Philippians chapter 2, verse 9 to 11, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. They were bowing, mocking him. But there is a day. It will not be child's play. It will be serious. Every knee will bow for real. Of those in heaven, and of those on earth and of those under the earth and that every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Even if you don't bow now, there is a day you will bow. Even if you don't bend your knee right now in allegiance to God, there is a day you will bend your knee. Even if right now you don't recognize him as the king of kings and the lord of lords, there is a day coming that everybody will bow before him. Every knee will bow before him. And we shall confess him as the king of kings and the lord of lords. Can I hear an amen in this? Amen. So tell your neighbor, you rather bow now so that when you bow then, you will not have a muscle pull. It will be easier for you. Hallelujah. Everybody will bow. I'm telling you. Everybody will bow. And they will confess. If you are here, you have not confessed him. I want to challenge you to confess him today. Bow down before him. He is not just the king of the Jews. He is the king of kings. And he is the Lord of lords.
So you're asking me, Pastor, why did he go through all these wounds? Isaiah chapter 53. And then we pray. Isaiah 53 verse 5. The Bible says, He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we were healed. He was wounded for us. He was wounded because of your iniquities. Can you imagine you were the one who was supposed to have a contorted face? Broken face. If you just look at your neighbor and imagine that their nose is not in place, their eyes are not in place, their ears are not in place. Just look at them. Hey, some of you are looking at your wives. You're just imagining. Or your husbands. You're imagining what will have happened. Will you have, will you have married that person? Eh? Will you have married her? Will you have married her? Because some of you is the nose that attracted you to that lady. Some of you is the eyes. Some of you is the ears. Isn't it? Hallelujah. Some of you is the legs. There's always a hook. Yeah. Please don't lie to me that, oh, I fasted, prayed, and then the Lord spoke to me. No, 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 no. There's always a hook. Apart from fasting and prayer and all those things, there is something that you saw in that person's life. Isn't it? It can be beards. Hallelujah. You realize it will, be very, very, it will be very cheap to maintain the man. He does not shave. You shall use the money to buy other things in the house. Yeah. The money will go into makeup. Yeah. You are the one whose face could have been mad, broken, scratched. Imagine the, the smooth face of your wife with scratches, phones. Hmm? Could have been the one. But look at you. He went through all that for you. Wounded for your transgression. Bruised for your iniquity. The chastisement for our peace. For you to experience peace. He was beaten, broken, bleeding. So that you may have peace. And it also happens so that you may be healed. By his stripes. On his face. By the wounds on his face. You are healed. So that you may be healed. May you enjoy healing today. May you enjoy forgiveness of sins today. May you be accepted today. May you be received today. In the name of Jesus. Ladies and gentlemen, that is the wounds that we see on the face of Jesus. Let's stand to our feet. Hallelujah. There's a song we used to sing a long time ago. By his wounds. We are here by his wounds. We are here. 
drums properly. sinner receive forgiveness in the name of Jesus by your wounds father we receive healing tonight we receive healing this morning every brokenness every pain any area in our lives that is warped and twisted we receive healing right now in the name of Jesus if you are sick lift up your hand I want to pray for you you are sick in any part of your body and you need healing, stretch your hand up. I want to pray for you. Or come here, I pray for you. Come here, I want to pray for you quickly. You are sick. By his wounds, we are healed. By his wounds,
receive healing. May the pain go. May amending take place. Healing in their physical bodies. Heal them emotionally as well. Take away the pain. Take away the pain. Restore health in their bodies right now. In the name of Jesus. Father, may they testify of the healing power. Next time they check, they will realize the pain is gone. In the name of Jesus. By your wounds we are healed. By your stripes we are healed. And we receive the healing in Jesus' name. We all shout a big amen. Somebody celebrate Jesus. Thank you for listening to this podcast. You can now get in touch with Dr. Dazu Techero on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.